Well, it's great to see so many people here and uh, to have such great neighbors who uh, allow us to do things like this without shutting us down for, uh, I don't know, sound pollution or something like that. But the way that I could hear you guys singing, I don't think there was much sound pollution going on. I think it was all great stuff. And it's uh, lovely to see you all if this is your first time or uh, whether you've been uh, considering Cornerstone your home for years. Uh, let me just grab this. So in case you don't know, my name is Dan and uh, I'm part of the pastoral staff, part of the, past of the, part of the pastoral uh, team here at Cornerstone. And uh, I'm originally from Wales, but I've lived uh, either in, here in North Gore or uh, serving on the mission field for the past uh, 18 years. So it's been uh, quite the adventure, but uh, our home uh, for many, many years has been right here in North Gore and we love our community. So I have a question for you, um, which is this. Have you ever had a big project or an assignment coming up where there are just so many moving pieces and your head is just jam-packed full of what needs to be done, all the ways that it could go wrong, and swimming in your head are all the what-ifs? the whatabouts and the contingencies that you've put in place. Have you ever had your head so stuffed with something coming up that it feels like there's no room for anything else? Hands up if you uh, relate to what I'm talking about. Yeah, I think it's uh, part of being human and particularly part of living in North America where just life is so fast-paced, especially living in the national capital region. I think life here is faster paced than it is at other parts of the country as well. Uh, in April, uh, Cornerstone had our first ever combined uh, elections and budget meeting, uh, which is doesn't sound very exciting but it was exciting and we called it one step at a time and it was it was a joyful uh, meeting full of uh, video testimonies and stories of what God is doing in and through Cornerstone and it was a ton of work to organize one stone at a time was a sort of major event that was you know, the pinnacle of months of planning and prep and branding and coordination. And my head leading up to there was absolutely spinning and humming with the noise of all the moving parts of everything going on in my head. And many times I would approach Stacy. Stacy, can you raise your hand? Over there, Stacy. I would approach Stacy, who's Cornerstone's administrator, and I would ask her, what about this? What about that? What about the online voting? What about the ballots of the members and the non-members? And this is where I learned, not for the first time, but I, I was reminded that uh, time and time again, Stacy is way ahead of me. Time and time again, my worried face took on a bit of a more relaxed look as I realized that Stacy had the administration in hand, leaving me to focus on what I needed to focus on. Way ahead of you, way ahead of you. This is a phrase that actually Stacy doesn't say to me very often, but she could. Way ahead of you. And in life, I think that many of us are so full of concern and worry about all of the moving parts and responsibilities, like Martha, right? We're worried about many things. And if you add into that, like I've already mentioned, our societies lean towards you know, busyness and also to worry. And then add into that our overstuffed lives and our overstuffed schedules. And no wonder we're 
self-medicating or burning out or just quietly rusting away with anxiety. Well, this morning, I'm here to tell you, not that Stacy's way ahead of you, that's, that's me, she's way ahead of me, but I am here to tell you that God is way ahead of you. That as you see crises or concerns approaching you on the horizon, yes, they may be looming large in your vision, but there's another reality that God is way ahead of you. And the question that I have for you this morning is, do you know this? And the second question is, do you trust him, that he's way ahead of you, that God is way ahead of you? Romans 8 verse uh, 28, and if you have the handout, then you will see it there. Romans 8, uh, uh, 28 says this, We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to what? His purpose. Our confidence is this, that God is way ahead of us. Last time we looked at the truth from Romans 8, 12 through 25, that we are fully adopted but we're not yet home. And I talked about how we're living in that tension between the what was and the what will one day be. We're in the airport of life, meaning that we've left our old way of life. We are fully adopted, but we're not yet home. We're still waiting on our connecting flight to heaven. And this airport that we find ourselves in, this world as it is now, can sometimes leave us, leave us feeling out of sorts, a bit maybe funny and maybe grimy, you know, you haven't had a shower in a couple of days because you're in the airport and the, and the plane's delayed and delayed. You know, sometimes living in life or living in this world can leave us feeling that way. And it's into that context that we read these words of hope from, from Romans 8, that we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. And my way of summarizing this verse and the verses around it is to say that God is way ahead of us. Now, I know that if you've been in church for any length of time and you've heard and read this verse a million times, and most often it's a source of encouragement. All things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. However, sometimes if you're anything like me, then this verse is sometimes met with a bit of skepticism. All things work together for the good. All things. All things, the miscarriage and the marital strife and the cancer diagnosis and the rebellious child and the financial struggle and the refugee crisis all things. And I think sometimes if we're not super careful, this verse can actually create emotions and a response in us that are the opposite of its intent. We feel that God is rather disingenuous or insincere, or that God is somehow checked out of reality, and in a sort of well-meaning but slightly senile way, he, he pats us on the head as we're facing whatever catastrophe we find ourselves in, and he's mumbling like an elderly person, there, there, all things work, work together for the good of those who love me, who are called according to my purpose. If misunderstood, verses like this can actually leave us feeling more abandoned or more disenchanted or more angry than we were before. And I think a large part of that is due to us doing this. We take the verse out of context and we apply it to our lives. 
there's a team who's texting another team in class. And this team writes, Hey, did you see the crazy shoes she was wearing in class this morning? Everyone was talking about her feet. She's so lucky. I wish I had shoes like that. What a wonderful compliment. I'd love to have that. Someone write a text to someone about me saying what lovely shoes I have and what wonderful feet I have. However, the team who received the original text then takes part of that text and forwards it to her friends, including the girl with the shoes. And her text says this, Hey, look at this message I, I just received. You see the crazy shoes she was wearing in, in class today? Everyone was talking about her feet. Now, everything that she said is true, but it's not the whole message. And what was, what, what was meant as a compliment has turned into meanness. And simply by taking some words out of context, what the message uh, is passed on is this, that she has terrible taste in, in footwear. People were now making fun of the girls with the shoes. So let's put Romans chapter 8, verse 28 in context, meaning that we're going to look at the verses before and the verses afterwards. First, the verses before. And so you can read this on your sheet, you can read it in your Bible or on your cell phone. It says this, In the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness, because we do not know what to pray for as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with inexpressible groanings. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. That is the context. Then we read, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. This is the first of... um, many canoe stories that I will be telling over the next while. But last weekend, I was canoeing on the lower Madawaska River with a bunch of guys from Cornerstone. And I did it last year, and Pastor Nathan and I were the only ones who didn't fall in. So perhaps I was a bit cocky or self-assured this year. And this year, Rick and my canoe, yeah, um tipped at least twice and filled with water once or twice more and we just managed to reach shore and one of the reasons that we tipped so much this year was well first of all my lack of experience but also because the water was higher this year than last and so it actually what happens when the water raises in the river is it changes the entire landscape of the river rocks that were exposed were now hidden there were now new eddying currents that weren't there last year and during one of my tips my phone fell into the water never to be seen or heard of again And the rapids were strong enough and fast enough that there was no way we were going to go back and look for it. And even though the cell signal was poor, I asked Rick if he could call my phone just in case through some freak chance or or miracle from on high that it was still functioning and it was still within hearing distance of some other river adventurer. So Rick rang my phone. And in my mind... I imagine someone hearing the ring of my phone and skillfully navigating their kayak over to the ringing sound and then they pick it up and they answer my phone to my joy and relief. 
In fact, I even randomly met someone on the river who works for Victoria Beckham in the UK, the former Spice Girls the, uh, um, and the wife of David Beckham and the mogul of fashion. And, and, this, and this woman who worked for Victoria Beckham said that she would keep her eye out for my phone. Now, imagine this, that if someone at some level of importance up in Victoria Beckham's fashion empire was listening for my phone, and then because she was listening for my phone, what if she heard my phone ring at the rifle shoot location on the Madawaska River, and then she found my phone washed up on some shore or a rock somewhere, and imagine if this Victoria Beckham executive then called my emergency contact on the lock screen and got the word to my wife, Wendy, that she had found my phone. Wouldn't that be an incredible story? Well, it didn't happen. This is a different phone. <laughs> but wouldn't that have been an amazing story? But friends, even more amazing than what did not happen on the lower Madawaska River last weekend does happen on a regular basis in an even more wild location, your heart. And it's not a Victoria, Victoria Beckham manager who's doing the searching. It's God himself. Listen to verse number 27. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now, N.T. Wright's translation of Romans, he says this, and the searcher of hearts knows what the Spirit is thinking because the Spirit pleads for God's people according to God's will. So you've got the searcher of hearts, which is God the Father, listening out for the groans of the Spirit in the wild expanses of your heart, just like I imagined the Victoria Beckham manager listening out for the rings of my cell phone on the Madawaska River. And so in your mind's eye, I want you to imagine this picture that N.T. Wright is trying to paint in these next words. Quote, the word searcher comes from a root which suggests someone lighting a torch and going slowly round a large, dark room full of all sorts of things. If you're a Harry Potter fan, think of the room of requirement. That's not in the quote, that's my addition. But going around a large, dark room full of all sorts of things, looking for something in particular. Or perhaps he's searching in the dark by listening, what is he wanting to find and what happens when he finds it? No doubt God in searching the dark places of our hearts comes across all sorts of things that we would just as soon remain hidden. But the thing he's wanting to find above all else and which according to Paul he ought to find in all Christians is the sound of the Spirit's groaning. End quote. So God, the searcher of hearts, is moving through the rooms of your heart, listening for the telltale sound of the Spirit's groaning. And God, the searcher of hearts, accepts this as prayer. He loves it when he hears the sound of the Spirit's groaning. Because in that moment, the Spirit is helping us in our weakness. When we don't know what to pray, the Spirit groans and God, the searcher of hearts, hears and because he knows the mind of the Spirit, he knows exactly what we're not saying, what we long to be able to communicate but are unable to do so. Amen. Friends, be encouraged. Last week we heard that the world is groaning. 
Verse number 22, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains up until now. And last week, we also heard that the believer is groaning. Verse number 23, not only that, but we ourselves who have the spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. So so the world is groaning and we're, and we're groaning. And now we hear that the spirit is groaning. Verse number 26, in the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness because we do not know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with inexpressible groanings. And N.T. Wright says this, this is prayer beyond prayer. This is diving down into the cold, dark depths beyond human sight or knowing. Have you ever prayed a prayer like this? You don't know what to say and the Spirit groans. This is prayer beyond prayer. And so friends, on those days when you've run out of words, when you don't know what to say in prayer, know this, that it's okay because God is way ahead of you in prayer. And because of this, because God is way ahead of us in prayer, we can say with confidence that we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Now to the second context of this verse, verse number 29. So we've looked at the verse that leads into 28, and now we're looking at the verse after. For those he foreknew, he also, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So God is way ahead of us in prayer, and God is way ahead of us in planning. As we move through life and uh, we are over and over again uh, rather troubled by unseen circumstances that maybe come our way. And these moments, these unseen circumstances can shake our faith up. They can worry our resolve. They can lead us to doubt or to question the goodness of God. But in verse 28 and 29, we see that God is way ahead of us in planning. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Now, this verse has been used by certain sectors of the church to claim that God predestines some for salvation while he predestines others for hell, or at least that God passes them over so that they can continue on their inevitable journey. But that's not what this verse is saying. We know that that Paul can't be saying this because there are verses in the Bible that actually uh, declare the, uh, the opposite. For example, 1st... Timothy 2 verse 3 and 4 says this, this is good and it pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved, everyone to be saved. He wouldn't want to save everyone if there was some that he'd intentionally passed over. And then again in Titus 2 verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all people. The option and the opportunity is there for everyone. So God hasn't chosen or predestined the lucky few and everyone else is, well, whatever. However, we cannot escape the fact that Paul is talking about predestination here. You know, the, 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 the word is here. But what Paul is saying is that the goal of that predestination is our eventual conforming to the image of his son. In other words, the purpose of our being predestined or chosen is to become like Christ, which means that if we are adopted in Christ, what is true of us in part now will one day be true of us in full. And that should give us great, great comfort, because once again, God is saying to us, I'm way ahead of you. 
And on those days when we just want to quit, or whether we wonder if God's going to even see us through to the end of the journey, we can say that God foreknew me, and out of that foreknowledge, he predestined me to be conformed to the image of Jesus, meaning it will happen. Our spiritual life sometimes can feel like we're, we're tracking investments you know, on the internet. If you're following the stock market on an hourly basis and you're a high emotion person, then every time your stock takes a dip, you're going to throw a hissy fit or have a panic attack. And when things take an upturn, then you'll be walking around smiling you know, like everything's okay with the world until the stocks fall again. And it's the same with the spiritual life. There will be always troughs and peaks, ups and downs. And the question isn't, how are you right exactly at this moment? The question is, what is, what is your, your general uh, trajectory? Even if you're up and down from one day to the next, look back over the past five years and ask yourself the question, have you seen growth? Have you seen change? Have you seen yourself maturing? Have you seen change? And that's what this verse is really about, is that God foreknew, he saw ahead into the mists of time that you would choose him. And out of that foreknowledge, he predestined that you would grow in conformity with, with Jesus, that you would act like Jesus, that you would speak more like Jesus, that you would look in your character more and more like him. And in this, you can have an assurance and a confidence that whatever life throws your way, Whatever life throws your way, whatever life throws your way, that God can reverse engineer that awful circumstance into a situation in which you grow into Christ by becoming more like him. And so I, I take us back to last week's sermon, verse 16, says that the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children, and if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, here it is, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may be also glorified with him. And that suffering that we're experiencing now is part of that growth into Christ-likeness. And... and Frankly, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm going to make it very real now, this is one of the reasons why we need to be very concerned with made medical assistance in death, simply because of the fact that pain and suffering is part of our journey of conformity to Christ, that we become more like him. And that verse that I just read, Romans 8:16, actually seems to make suffering a condition of being a co-heir with Christ. We are co-heirs with Christ if indeed we suffer with him. And we live in a culture that purely views suffering as something that we are to avoid at all costs. And I realize that there are many complex made cases that, that, I, don't, that I can't speak to this morning. But I, but I do wonder that if you view, or if the way that you view a difficult or painful situation or a health challenge, I wonder if the way that you view it might change if you knew that God foreknew you, and out of that foreknowledge, he predestined you to be conformed to the image of his son. And part of that conforming process is the suffering, that in the hands of God, he is the glory, that nothing is wasted, and that in the hands of God, we are never alone 
Verse 35 says this, Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, because of you we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep, sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So would your knowledge of God's foreknowledge change things? Maybe. And then we come to these words of incredible hope. And those he, those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. He foreknew you. He predestined you. He called you. He justified you. And he will, he will glorify you. And I love that that final part, that, that glorification bit, which is what happens when we transfer from this world as it is into the next world, that that, 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 that part of glorification is such a certainty that even though it's a future event, in this verse it's written in the past tense, he justified you, he glorified you. It's as if it already happened. Listen to these words from William M. Greathouse and George Lyons. And these words are actually on your sheet, so you can feel free to read along. They write this, From the vantage point of eternity, all things, verse, verse, verse 28, that come to Christians in this life, even the sufferings of, of this present age, somehow serve God's purpose. Superficially, our present sufferings, verse 18, our present anonymity, verse 19, our frustration, verse 20, our deteriorating and dying bodies, verse 21 and 23, our groaning and waiting, verse number 23, our disciplined perseverance, verse number 25, our weakness, verse number 26, and our difficulty praying, verse 26 and 7, would seem to hinder God's purpose for us. But in fact, everything that seems to frustrate God's purpose comes to serve its accomplishment. And as a result, nothing can ultimately harm yeah, the Christian. Even the full onslaught of the powers of destruction, verse 35 to 39, belong only to the age that is passing away. They too contribute to God's purpose, good purpose, for those who love him. What, what, what amazing words. And this brings us back to Romans 8, verse number 28. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. And we know this because God is way ahead of us in prayer, that the searcher of hearts is wandering the depths of your heart, listening for the telltale groanings of the Spirit. And God is way ahead of us in planning as well. He foreknew you and he predestined you to be conformed to the image of his Son. And out of that predestination, he called you, he justified you, and he glorified you. All things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his wonderful purpose. And, and, and what this means, friends, is that the depths of the darkness of your inner heart is no obstacle for the searcher of hearts. And the depths of the darkness of your outer circumstances is no obstacle for the foreknower of everything. And so whatever's going on in here and whatever's going on out there, God is there. He's searching and he's planning and in both, we can say that God is way ahead of us. 
And so to repeat those words of great house and lions, but in fact, everything that seems to frustrate God's purpose comes to serve its accomplishment, which is the ultimate glorification of the Christian. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us, verse 18. And that that moment, that moment of glory, that's when the groaning of creation in verse 22 will cease. That's when the groaning of the Christian in verse, verse, verse 23 will cease. That's when the groaning of the Spirit in verse 26 will cease. And that is when the searcher of the hearts will stop searching because there's no more groaning. We will be home. We will be known even as we, we are fully known that God's shalom will have spread over all the earth, that what was wrong will have been made right, and the entire cosmos will breathe a sigh of relief. But as we wait in that airport that we talked about last week, we know that God is way ahead of us in prayer, and we know that God is way ahead of us in planning. And because of these two things, we can say with, with absolute sh- um, surety, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Let's just read that verse as an encouragement to our heart altogether. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. One more time, nice and loud. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen.